Welcome. This is an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. The topic is Preventing Pornography Use in Children, delivered by John and Lucas Fort during our Restoring Intimacy Conference in September 2015. Other recordings from that event are available on our website, www.healthyintimacy.net. So we, this is about trying to prevent uh, compulsion or pornography addiction or whatever in children, trying to build that foundation. So we're gonna get there, but it may not quite feel like that at first. So we'll start off. We already talked about, uh, about me here. Um, these are the three places I'm working with. I'm some of that's volunteer, some of it's not. Um, anyway, Parents for Purity is brand new. Pure Community started in July. So if you haven't heard about them, it's because two of those things are really new. Um, this is the book, it's down there, um, that we wrote when we were doing, a, Lucas and I were doing a, a presentation more on specifically fathers and sons, and out of that came this kind of book. It was sort of an accident. Um, and then that's me. It's a lovely picture of me, too. And so I'm an athlete. I do track and field at Glencoe, and I'm also a musician and a fisherman, as you can see. Okay, so we're talking about comp uh, preventing uh, compulsive pornography use. Um, I don't want to spend much time on this because I don't imagine you'd be here if you didn't believe this was a serious issue. We're going to talk just a little bit, a couple of statistics um, that today virtually every kid sees pornography. Okay, so that, that's the, the issue. And they are not just seeing it, they're using it a lot. And that, you know, we don't need to go into that. There's lots of statistics. This is different. This is a quotation when I was doing research for this book and other books. Someone here, I won't name the school, is going to a Christian area college. These were homes that were from that kind of background. And this person said, every single male student at that college, and most of the female students, regularly use pornography. Regularly use pornography. And this person by this time was addicted to pornography. So this is here right now. This is here right now. And they didn't start looking at this. And they didn't start looking at this when they were in college. I don't want to say anything more about that. I don't want to say anything more about that. But I want to say one thing we haven't talked about yet. But I want to say one thing we haven't talked about yet today. So far, everything you've been hearing about is mostly about Generation X and baby boomers. But millennials are a little different. Most people who are actually sex or pornography addicts um, in the older generations, us, were male. It's not true anymore. Okay, so there's some difference here. Um, it was also true that most people who were addicts had either distant or absent, either emotionally distant or absent fathers. It is not true with millennials. Most of millennials who are addicted have supported, supportive uh, fathers. Okay, that's a difference. Um, usually, you've heard this before, that very often, something like 80% of sex addicts were abused or sexualized early as children. That is not true anymore, unless you consider the pornography being doing the, the, uh, um, the abuse. And usually also people who were clinically um, diagnosed addicts, even though there's not really a diagnosis for it, uh, had some other kind of co-addiction to it. And again, it's no longer true. So one thing I want to try to say is there's something different that's going on now than was happening before. Mm -hmm. Okay, why is this true? Um, 21st century pornography is absolutely everywhere. It's not, it's not a surprise. Um, it's also, you've heard people talk about it, it's very violent. Selling the idea that sex is a violent thing it was not as true before. It's much more hardcore and graphic. It grabs people's attention. One thing to see a naked person is another thing to see the kind of things people see online today. It's interactive. They're not looking at pictures anymore, looking at videos. There's sound, there's all kinds of things going on. It grabs the senses, more of the senses than just a, a picture on paper. And it's instant. Right now, I can have as much as I want. It, get inst it, it, it um, reinforces that instant gratification thing going on. And lastly, it's endlessly novel. No matter how much a person's looking at pornography today, there's always something more to look at, more of it, more of it. Somebody else, a different person I'm looking at, a different thing happening. And that creates this drive and curiosity. It builds that up. So this was not true before when a kid would have a magazine or two, or even three or four or five or six, and the same pictures over and over and over and over again. Not what's happening today. Every time I turn that computer on or that phone on, I'm going to see something different this time. 
And so that, what that does to the brain, I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm just saying, just as a father, I knew um, that this was going to be an issue. And the reason is because I'm a, a pornography and sex addict myself. I started recovery 20 years ago. When Lucas turned 11, I began to realize I better do something because what is out there today, I would have been eaten alive if I was 11 and, and, and had access to that. So I had to do something. I'd been in recovery forever, been to all kinds of counseling, so I'd, I knew kind of what to do, but you're a kid, you're not an addict, so it's not exactly the same, so we started, that's what we kind of tried to build this thing up because I knew something had to be done or it's not going to be. And even though, like, you know, I'm having this help with my dad, and um, even though I know some friends, I have some people at school or wherever they may be, who aren't addicted—they aren't addicted to it—but I can tell, like, and they're also really open about it. But they talk about it, and they talk about—they some guys brag about it even at school and things like that. And there's already some that are just—that's all they talk about, all they think about, and it's kind of—it's growing at an alarming rate in the people that I know, hmm. even like in high school. Um, and so, this is something for you guys to know that for like us helping your kids who are like in pornography, helping them like know that it's out there and things, for them to know, that, or you to know that they are in the right home, that you guys are the right parents, you're the right kind of people to be talking about it and that you can do this. And that even I firmly believe like with doing work with my dad that it's the parents who need to be doing this, it's the father, it's the mother who need to be doing this and that's the only way it's really gonna actually work mm -hmm. and affect the children the most. And one of the biggest things that we've learned talking to people is I get a little bit of information to get people's attention that this is a big deal, but I don't want to scare you, okay? You can do this, or if you're helping other parents get the courage, the number one message is not, this is terrible, it's going to destroy your kid. The number one message is, you can do this. Okay? I'm not a therapist, and I did it, okay? And uh, so that's, you can bungle around, it doesn't matter, okay? So that, that kind of breathe and, and, and that kind of thing. Okay, so what are we preventing? Okay, this is, I, I want to explain what the problem looks like. Okay, so they're going to have access to porn somewhere. I don't care what. No matter what you do, it's going to happen. Um, of course, they're going to be aroused when they see it. Boy or girl, whatever, is going to create some curiosity and, and possibly, depending on how old they are, some sexual arousal. Okay? They're going to also feel better whether they want to or not. If they had been anxious about anything, that's gone. They're going to have pleasure, some, even if it's just some chemicals going off in their brain, and it will happen like that, okay? So that will, your brain, their brains will remember that. So what does that do? Well, later on, some stress happens. It may not be the parents fighting. I'm not trying to paint a bad picture of parents, but something's going to happen. And somewhere in the back of their brain, they may not be aware of this at all. They're going to remember, hey, I remember when I looked at that before, and I felt better, but I was also, they were also sexually aroused. And this repeats over and over again because no one's talking to them about porn and they're going off and looking at it and they don't see this pattern of every time that something bad happens, I'm looking at porn and feeling better and sexual arousal become equated and linked together in the brain. And they found a really good way to make bad things go away. And that is the roots of sexual addiction is that this is a way to medicate when bad things happen, when uncomfortable things happen, when I'm scared. Okay, so this is where we're getting at, not what they're seeing, but how, how they're dealing with what's happening in life. This is the way, this is kind of a, my way of looking at it. We have some kind of emotional need, a need where I feel afraid, I need safety. Um, I'm worried about something. I hear my parents talking about money, and are we going to run out of money? I'm worried. Whatever. There's some kind of need. I have a discomfort that goes on. My body at this point in time instantly reacts by becoming aroused. So what happens is there's not even pornography going on, but because this repeated use of pornography has happened over and over again, when an anxious thing comes along, the child becomes sexually aroused, and I want porn. Okay, they don't, they don't see that. And of course... Typically, when they're looking at that, they will feel some kind of shame afterwards. Because as they're porn, they keep looking at worse and worse things all the time because they're curious about it. It's like, I can't believe what I looked at. That was really over the line this time. But then their need never went away, and they're back there. And so it begins this cycle. This is kind of a layman's addiction cycle kind of a thing. Um, so this is what we're trying to prevent. It's not so much that they saw a naked person. It's that I don't want this to happen. Mm -hmm. So we have to get in, 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 the, in the thing. 
Okay, the greatest deterrent we have learned for you, because you weren't an addict, mm -hmm. you weren't abused, you weren't all those things that happened. By the way, I fit that profile. All those things bad, that was all part of me. I'm a Generation X person, okay? None of that happened to him. I was trying to keep it. The greatest deterrent, I think, to compulsive pornography use um, whoops, is healthy coping, learning how to deal with these emotions that are happening. So it's really about emotions. And you've heard other speakers talk about this. Okay. So this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what do you talk to kids that are 5 to 10? What do you do with 11 to 13, 14 to 18? And these are really rough. I mean, you know, every kid's different. And then also because when we started doing this, I was at age 11, so there's a little bit of stuff that we either had to catch up with or things that kind of went on. So this is just... Well, also out. some of the stuff that, that I show, talk, we talk about here at 5 to 10, we were doing, we just didn't know. Yeah. My, my wife and I learned through our own recovery that these are important things to do, not about sex, but just important things to do we missed out. And we didn't know we were already putting these things in place. Okay, ages 5 to 10, talking about your emotions, talking about your feelings. And we've already talked about, I've had other presenters talk about this whole, you know, nudity and media and modesty and privacy and bad touch. And I'm not, we're not going to talk about that stuff because other people have already done that. And there's a thousand books out there about that already. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about emotions and feelings. Because that's what is kind of left out. What we want to do during this age is to teach them. We talk about our feelings. A lot of presenters have been talking about this. We listen to each other's feelings. We don't try to fix how people feel. We just, wow, tell me about that, you know. Um, we're not afraid of our feelings and feeling sad or, or kids, most, they just say, I feel sad. That's kind of the bad feeling. It's all sad. Mm -hmm. It's okay. So Lucas, he had a story yeah, well, because I remember that when I was a younger kid, I remember there'd be times where, like, I would feel bad or feel sad or anything. And I remember that I would talk to my parents. I'd come home and be like, I, you know, I feel sad, I feel bad, like this sort of thing. And they'd ask me if anything happened. And sometimes maybe some, like, some kid said something mean to me, but sometimes I just kind of felt sad in general. And so it was kind of building up that thing of where I would come home and I'd say that. And I knew that my parents would be like, oh, tell me about it. You know, they'd listen to what I was saying. And so I felt like I was being heard, but I was just like, where do you sense. think you got, we don't, this is not, we're kind of, this is really happening what we're talking about. Where do you think you got that from? I remember when you were like fifth or sixth grade and you would come home and you sat on the couch and I just mm -hmm. feel sad today and mm -hmm. like, I am so glad that you figured that out, you know, you can do that. But where, where did that come from? Um, I think probably from, because I know watching you and mom, because you guys, like, because you didn't try to like, if you had conversations with each other, you wouldn't try to like go in the other room and talk about it but you were like out with the family talking. And I remember like hearing you and I remember that you or mom, either one would say like, I feel bad or something bad happened at work or something bad happened. And so I remember that that happened. So I'm like, oh, well then they can talk about it. So I'm your kid so I can talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that. So that's why I kind of like. Another thing we tried to do, my wife and I is learning not to fix each other. Both my wife and I are natively, we fix people, you know, which is bad. So we learned to just Tell me about your feeling, and, and I, oh, I that, that sounds terrible. I'm not going to try to fix it. Well, you should do this, and, and you know. Um, so we tried to, and one really cool thing is both, he has an older sister too, is when one of us was feeling bad, <laughs> our kids would say, okay, you know, if you're feeling bad, then that's fine, but, you know, don't try to mess up the whole family, you know. Don't, don't try to get us all on it, you know. So we successfully taught them that we're not going to fix each other's feelings, and you don't need to fix mine if I'm not feeling good. You can listen to me, but, so that was important. If you have questions, you can ask too, by the way. Ages 11, not, okay. It may be before age 11, before you have to talk about, you know, you mentioned that pornography exists. It depends on your kid and what they're exposed to. Um, in, in your case, um, I was a little chicken to talk about it. I wasn't sure about it yet. But when you got to be, when you, when you like literally turned 11, I cannot wait anymore. We have to talk about this. Um, but there may be kids, I hear parents say their six-year-old got, someone showed them pornography. You know, so this, whenever it happens, you got to talk about it. But um, at some age, when you think we need to talk about this, they're going to see this pretty soon. So do you remember the time when uh, I first talked about what pornography was? Yeah, we were outside working in the backyard. We were doing gardening or weeding. I don't know what we were something. And I remember we were sitting there, and you started kind of slowly kind of I can tell you were feeling awkward about it, too, but you started talking about pornography and getting these feelings and wanting to see it and all this kind of stuff. I remember the whole time I was like, not only was I grossed out, because I'm like, but I felt like almost offended. Like, why would you think I would do that? Like, I felt like I'm not going to look at that. That's absolutely gross and disgusting. I'm never doing that. And so I just do it. It's just like a terrible, I'm like, what? 
So the thing was, is what I was trying to tell him is that it's normal to want to see pornography. We're built that way. You know, our bodies, we would, there would never be children. We would never get married if it wasn't a sex drive. It's coming. But you're also going to hear your ki- um, friends talking about this. And, um, and you hadn't somehow, I think that I'm not quite sure how it's even possible. But um, then, then I talked about my first experience with porn, and I'll explain it do that later. Um, and then it's important to say, and I wanted to look at it. <coughs> you know, that, that is important to admit you know, of course, maybe some parents wouldn't want to look at it, but it doesn't matter. You need to be honest how you felt about that. Okay. Um, so what we said is that you're going to want to look at pornography too. And you were like, yeah, no. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I refused to look at it. Um, and I said, when, if, if you see pornography, we, we need to talk about that. I want to hear about that. If some friend shows it to you when you go to their house, we need to talk. I want, you know, so we started those kind of conversations. Um, and part of this was, you're old enough now f- that we're going to start talking about adult things. We're raising you kind of up to our, my, to our level as parents, and we're going to begin talking about some things, because you're, you're, you're getting there. Okay. Another thing, uh, I don't know what to call this, um, some people would call it lust, but it could just be, you might just think about it as arousal. But there's, I w- it was important, it became important to, to distinguish these three things here is that, that kind of sexual reaction, attraction that happens, and temptation to, I want to look at pornography, I want to think about that more, I want to pursue that, and then versus actually doing something that you don't have told yourself you're not going to do, whatever that would be. And maybe failure is a bad word. It's just, I couldn't think of what else to say. Um, so this first came up when you were 13, and we were doing accountability, which we're going to describe later. Um, and during one of the times we were talking, you were embarrassed because you thought you had crossed a line. Yeah. yeah, because I remember it was middle school, or I think it was like eighth grade it's or something. To think, yeah. yeah, and I remember that it was in PE, and so you know you always have to dress in your different clothes. And I remember there was girls who was wearing short shorts, and I remember that I was like attracted to that, but I felt terrible, like oh no, I messed up. I'm like attracted to them. I'm a terrible person. And so I remember coming home and feeling bad, like I remember saying, Dad, I messed up. And he's like, you know, bored, that, that right, I did right. something, but then I told him about it. And so, so, so what happens is, is that I began to realize, because I thought he was trying to tell me that he had started having sexual fantasies. I thought that's what he was trying to say, but then I started asking more questions. It's like, no, he just reacted. He became, he felt like this strong sexual attraction. So that's biology, Lucas. That's normal. Mm-hmm. You don't have to feel bad about your body reacting in a normal way. That's supposed to happen. But what goes on beyond that is a different story. So if you are thinking about, I want to go home and look at pornography, or if you're thinking, oops, or if you're thinking, uh, or, or whatever else you might want to do, that's that temptation. I'm, I'm, I'm considering doing something that is crossing a line I've set for myself, and then actually crossing that line. So you didn't even get that far. You just had a reaction. And that took a lot of weight off. I could just see in your face, it's like, oh, oh, okay. I, so this is, they don't know. They've never felt that way before. Do you see what I'm saying? And so this is the kind of thing that parents don't think of to talk to your kids about. And so we began to analyze, as we would talk every week, is this experience you had, what was that? Was that a biological reaction? Was that you were feeling tempted to cross some line, or did you cross the line? Where did that feel? And not that we're judging anything, but to help him distinguish. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, it helped me distinguish things, because I never really thought about it that clearly myself. I I am a man, after all, and I do have hormones. And so I hadn't really broken it down. It's funny, when you have to teach somebody else, you begin to realize, even in yourself, um, these, these things. We talk weekly. Now, I know that the uh, presenter I saw talked about it can be kind of, and yeah, we do the kind of whenever the teachable moment comes or whatever, but I'm like, this is going to, if I say, if I don't purposely, we're going to talk about this every so often. We did not do that quite as often with my daughter, um, but I just knew I was, I was a teenager. It's like, this is never going to work if we don't have a pretty regular time. Mm-hmm. So we talk on Thursday night after school. About we both do, so we'll get into that in a minute. So, I, I said I'd talk about this. Um, I back when he was eleven, I talked about him, told him the first time I saw pornography. Uh, I talked about what I saw, not graphic, but what you know. What am I talking about? You say the word pornography. What does that even mean? And how did I feel? Now I did not do this next part, but I would have if I would have thought of it. Is to show them a picture of how old I was interesting thought. If you can dig up a picture of yourself about the age you first saw, 
because Lucas, you don't, you, n- you never saw me when I looked like this. So yeah. if I'm just showing you this, that doesn't, you know, by saying no, this, this is what was looking at pornography when I was nine, ten years old, and I was at a friend's house, and he said, "Look what I found in my dad's den that no one was allowed to go in," and it was stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of penthouse, penthouse and Playboy and something else, I can't remember, and there was naked women all over in them, and so that's what I, that's what we saw. And I could tell they were excited, and I, I, it was, I was excited. Uh, nudity wasn't necessarily in the family I'd grown up as like a super taboo thing, exactly, but there was something different about these pictures. And um, uh, I, I was young enough that I don't know how, how really like sexually excited I felt, but we kept looking at them a long time, and I had really feelings of, that was sort of gross, but sort of exciting and kind of confusing. And, um, but I knew later on I'd wanted to see more. And so this is important that I showed him what that looked like, even though at that age he hadn't seen anything. But a lot of kids these days, they're even younger than that when they see stuff. Um, 11 to 13, someone there, typically if not before puberty happens. That's when we started a regular meeting. Um, the first year when they enter puberty, what we've noticed was like just, yes, just, We'll talk about why, for boys in particular, it's just so, their, their attraction and arousal just like off the charts constantly, okay? And, and um, uh, so we share, um, and I, but I have to t- share my own too. So when we were talking, I would say, well, this week, not that this may sound crazy to you, but how can I ask him to share things that I'm not going to share too, right? Mm-hmm. So this week, there was this attractive woman, and I found myself wanting to start thinking about her in a sexual way and that's not mom and I don't want to do that so I have to tell him about that you see mm-hmm. what I'm saying um, and that's the part of accountability that sometimes we leave out if you don't if you don't do this with your kids it's just not fair you know we're asking them to bear their souls and we're not bearing our soul too mm-hmm. um, and then uh, began to try to connect when he would talk about that he felt like he crossed a line in some way, whatever that was. Their family's going to have their different where that line is. Um, trying to say, well, how are you feeling before that? I was trying to connect it with, are you using this to escape anything with? Did you see what I'm saying? And f- that first year, th- that never happened. Yeah. Because it, it was just hormones flat out. This is what it was. Um, so... The book that, that we wrote together talks mainly about this particular issue is what actually accountability looks like. It's a conversation between the parent and the child. It's two-way. Um, we both share, and, and we do it weekly. I mean, maybe it doesn't have to be done weekly, but at some kind of regular basis, you know, seems like to me. Um, what it is 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 coming out of secrecy building a relationship, moving towards something. I'll talk about what that means in a minute. I'll show you. And focusing on meeting needs. Remember, this is about emotions and feelings. We're trying to make sure that those are being met in a healthy way. That makes it, it's hard enough not to look at pornography when you're not using it to escape a bad feeling. Okay. What it is not, it is not punishment. If this ever becomes a parent punishing a kid, you looked at pornography, you're grounded for a week. <laughs> what would have happened? No, no because I remember um, when I, the first time that I told my parents about when I looked at pornography, because I felt really bad. I felt like, you know, I did this terrible thing. And I remember, because we had already been talking a little bit about mm-hmm. it, so I knew it. But I remember feeling like, oh, is he going to punish me? Is something wrong going to happen? And like, I was feeling, like, really, like, anxious about it and getting, like, so worked up. And I remember that, like, I talked to him about it, and they listened to me and said, okay, okay, now let's talk about it and kind of, like, work on how can we fix this? How can we, you know, and, like, trying to help me, not punishing me. And so I remember I just felt like it was a massive relief because I just was so worried that you were going to punish me. Something was bad was going to happen. And if happen. he would have punished you, would you have told I us probably, again? Well, no, because it's like, you know, if I tell you I did this bad thing and you say bad, you, you did a bad job, it's like I don't want to tell you again because then I'm going to feel worse. This is really hard for some parents is that really have to question if there's a, if there's a need to punish because that just, this is... It's scary enough for them, you know. It's, it's scary. I think it's more scary for the parents, quite frankly. But that I, I just I, I don't have any research to back it up. Just from our experience, this seems to be really true. Um, this is not about catching the other person when they do wrong. It's not what this is about. It's not about stopping bad behavior. 
It's about making sure people meet their needs correctly. See, because pornography is a false reality, trying to draw people out of false reality, fake sexualization to real relationships and eventually sexual relationships. This is what accountability looks, line looks like for us. There's a move away from. There's needs, and don't worry, we're going to show this a whole bunch of times. So don't, you don't have to write all this stuff down yet. Um, and a moving toward. The moving toward is the big thing we're going to get to. Uh, so the moving away from, what does that look like? Um, you can make a big list of things. Um, looking at pornography, reading or view, viewing arousing material, you can broaden it out to be more than that. Uh, the whole sexual joke things, we don't want to, because that's objectifying, typically objectifying women and that kind of, do we really want to be a part of that? Um, sex, you know, the, con the sexting and naked pictures back and forth and all that kind of stuff, can be, you know, sexual context, uh, conversation through social media, blah, 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 okay? Um, the, the thing is with these, you work with you. Now, the parent has one of these too, okay? I have one too. Um, I just realized we left this. Uh, the, the, uh, so what you do on this, what the research about willpower does show, is that you record the top most serious ones, whatever they are. These are just random things I threw up there, okay? Because if you try to work on this massive list of things that you're not going to do, you will fail. If you get it down to two or maybe three, you have a much higher chance of succeeding. And if you're not sure which one are the most important, you just kind of guess on it. It's just trying to get... Yeah, to start off with, yeah. you just say, well, I'll just try these. And then as things go, oh, actually, that's not the biggest thing. And then once one of these becomes not an issue anymore, then you can bump it out and put something else in there. Okay? And eventually you begin to work on just like character traits. They're not even about sexuality necessarily at all. You know? But this, is a, it, it's a, this same technique helps you work on a whole bunch of stuff in life. Um, so we got to move away from. The next thing is, so what are my needs? Now, Dr. Mark Laser is a leading, like Patrick Carnes, is a leading therapist in sex addiction. And he says these are the top seven human needs. Sometimes my brain works backwards, and it's easy for me to say, well, my need is to not feel like these things. And so this, this is my list of things. They, they, don't, they can be any list you want them to be. It doesn't have to be these. But you and your child try to figure out what are the most important needs to have or to not have. When you were 11, 12, 13, this was just like foreign language. You're like, what are you talking about? You, you knew your, need, your feelings, but mm -hmm. we just had to do the best we could. It took, you were probably 14 before this started to actually make sense. Yeah. Okay. But this, we didn't stop trying. Okay. So you pick <coughs> two of these. Just two. Uh, these are mine here, these particular needs. To be wanted and to be heard. Okay, that's the, my, the most important thing that, I, that they, I feel hurt the most when these don't happen. Okay, um, so the needs-focused accountability, this is important. You might, this might be worth writing down. I believe, and in my experience, is telling much of our desire to enter the fantasy world of pornography or actual or just sexual fantasy is to escape bad, the bad reality that we're in. Like whatever reality we don't like. It's a really good way to escape because boy, Dopamine is just a powerful drug, man. It really makes you feel better right now. Okay? Our job as parents in this particular area is to help our children stay in the real world and use real relationships to ease emotional pain. We don't want to rely on this. We have a whole generation of people under 30 years old who are using pornography to deal with life. That's their crutch. You know? They may not be full-blown addicts, but that's what they're doing. They have a hard time relating to each other. They have a hard time getting married. They have a hard time finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend sometimes. It's, it's kind of a mess. My daughter's 20 in college, and this is like ridiculous, the things I hear. How did you move from like your first experience with your dad and you're like, oh, this is weird, this is gross, to having him share things that, that about his own experiences where he felt comfortable? It was like, this thing talking back and forth between him, just like talking about feelings. And because I kept talking and talking, I felt, felt more comfortable doing it. And so it was really just like doing repetitions and getting used to the feeling of it and just being more open and understanding with the help of my dad, knowing that I wasn't going to get in trouble if something bad happened, knowing that he's going to understand or at least he's going to try to understand. Um, and so for me, it was 
it was, I, it's not really, it wasn't hard for me to do it. I think it was, it was better because it was hard, my, maybe harder for my dad or my mom to do it because it was like they were doing the work of accepting and understanding what it. What shocked me was, and, and there's some things we're not going to tell you that we talked about because they're just a little too personal, but he would come to me with things that's like, whoa, my gosh, you're telling me that's way more information than I want to know. But the information is like, they're, once they realize it's safe, they will tell you everything. Mm -hmm. And... Um, but it's just like, is this okay? Is this normal? And they'll, there it is, you know. Um, but it's the parents, it's not the kids. But yeah, it just it just takes some repetition, yeah. and they, yeah. So a few slides back, you said he didn't get this until maybe he was thirteen or fourteen. Mm-hmm. Well, part of the part that he didn't get, if I understand right, is understanding his own emotions and what is going through in life. Well, y yeah. Through the initial 11 years old, yeah, you know, we don't get all that mm -hmm. emotional <laughs> connection needs. Mm -hmm. But yet, you've been doing it for two or three consecutive years, building your trust. Mm -hmm. Now he knew, hey, wait, uh, something going on in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can identify with what's going on now. Yeah. Yeah, we'll tell you, we'll, uh, we'll share in a minute the story of when that started happening. It's kind of exciting. Okay. Um, so what we're trying to do is to move out of fantasy, when they have need and discomfort, they go to relationship. That's what we're aiming for. It's all about community, it's about relationships. And quite frankly, this generation craves relationship mm -hmm. because they've experienced so much false relationship through Facebook and all this stuff that real people they really they don't know how to do it very well, but they they really want it. Well, I'll say, and even for me, like with my friends at school or things like that, because through doing this, I'm like an extremely open person, so I'm I'm comfortable sharing. I'm also a very trusting person, um, and so I can open up to a lot of people pretty easily about some serious stuff. Um, and in doing that, I can see when I do that to somebody, they realize that I'm doing that, and they'll see, ooh, hey, this is somebody I can trust, and so they'll talk to me, and they'll open about this stuff that like this is like being laid on me because I'm like I'm pretty much showing hey there's somebody who can listen to you and it's a real like actual relationship that they can get like an actual like a face-to-face -face person like a real face and like real actual comfort and feeling like they're being understood and listened to. Mm -hmm. So now to move toward remember I said this is the most important part because if you're just focusing on what you're trying to stop doing and how bad you feel you'll just be miserable you gotta have something to move toward and this is the trick. Most people think of move toward as doing some good thing. That doesn't help at all, okay? Um, what does help is we say, well, one move toward could be I'm gonna, we're gonna meet once a week, okay? Or when I feel sad or stressed or tempted, I'm gonna call or text who? My dad, my friend, who am I gonna communicate? Reach out with and share that feeling with somebody. One thing that helps me is a thankful log, keeping, you know, keeping, depending on where you're at, um, what, what, am I what am I grateful for? My dog, my wife, my house, what? You know, because that keeps our mind on positive things and negative things. Um, actively keeping, uh, seeking connection with the same gender. This is really around it, that some people use sex as a form of validation. Is that girls, both girls and boys, like I'm seeking my validation as a man or as a woman from the opposite sex, which is impossible. I, can, I, I get my validation that you are a man from other men, not from women. And likewise, women, I get girls, I get my validation that I am a woman from other women. It, the, the sex thing, our society's really twisted that. And so um, Lucas spilling all his problems on, on a bunch of girls isn't going to help him anything. It might be fun to do because they all pay attention to him, but it's not going to help him feel like I'm being heard by another man that gets, who, gets this. You see what I'm saying? And, and a lot of men in sex addiction are really fixated on women and they're out there wanting to get their validation from a woman. It's never going to happen. It has to come from other men. Same way with women. Yeah. Who can tell me, who can tell Lucas that he's a man? A girlfriend? Or a man? He doesn't want to be a girl. He wants to be a man, right? So who can say yes, affirm, you are a man, you are good enough? Only another man can, can say that and him actually believe it. A girl's not a man. She can say what she likes, but you, you see what I'm saying? And, and our society's really turned things around. Girls in particular, you've got to dress this way and you've got to act this way and do all this stuff to be a woman. Why are you giving that power to men? 
Why are you doing that for? They're not who decides if you're a woman. Other women are who decides if you're a woman or not. Other men, I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but this is, we don't have time. I mean, that's a whole other topic. That whole, that's a whole topic right there. But uh, I have just found this to be really, really true, especially in myself and other men I see is men need to spend, a, a male sex addict that's womanizing needs to spend more time with men. And that need to get that affirmation from that woman becomes less and she can be my partner, not someone I'm trying to get something from. And what they're trying to get is not just sex, affirmation. You know, I really challenge guys that like their biggest affirmation is when their wife wants to have sex with them. That's a, no, I'm not sure that's a great thing to place your manliness on. You know, sex can be great, but I don't want it to be, that's what I have to have to be a man. That's a little, little, little risky to me. I also kind of asking a lot from the wife. What if she doesn't want to? Do they, then what, I'm not a man today? I mean, you know, that's kind of not, not, the, not the most healthy thing in the world, it seems like. So moving toward is the most uh, powerful, to, because like for, for me, um, so this, is, this could be mine here. Um, I had some, a lot of depression when I was a, a younger adult. So I still, every single day, I write down three little bullet points, three little bullet points of things that I am, I am happy about today, that, that I'm glad. Something, somebody said something nice to me, just that I have a dog, just that my wife is still here, that kind of thing. Really gets my brain in the right focus, okay? I, I don't need something else to feel better. Um, and if I feel any emotion, then I will tell him. I have other men I tell, and... That helps that get out there until I have time to sit and talk to somebody, my wife or you or whoever, you see. Now, and they could be other things. So the weird thing is, now you think about this, what does a thankful log and telling somebody when you're sad or stressed out have to do with not looking at porn? It has a lot to do with it. People don't need to look at it so bad. Yeah, it's still attractive and still like, yeah, that would be interesting. We've got to quit telling her, oh, I can't believe you want to look at that. Of course, a lot of people would like, it's interesting, what's out there? I don't, what's out there today? I haven't looked at what you know what I'm saying? When you haven't looked at it in a really long time, you wonder, you hear all these stories, you know what I mean? And so I don't have to lie about that. Yeah, that'd be interesting, but it takes a lot of the pressure off when I'm not using that to feel better. I don't need to. I have some way through relationship to feel better. It's just a tool that makes it a lot easier to do this, if that makes any sense. Okay, so my uh, two things are looking at any kind of... Um, uh, well, 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 fantasy is one of mine. I'm married and I don't want to be like fantasizing about other women, if I can help it. Um, and then um, I just changed it, but I'll look t and I can't remember where I changed it to, but the thing I was using was to not be critical of other people. And you're saying, what does that have to do with anything? I remember at one point in time, this gets above sexual stuff. And a character flaw I have is to be very critical of people. And so um, that, and... Uh, you're like, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> so I'm putting this on the table. We're going to talk about this. I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to, was I critical or judgmental to somebody during the week? Okay. So that's what I move away from. Um, then my needs, those work. Um, and then moving toward uh, uh, is to the thankful log is mine, but the opposite one meets the first one. That is, if I am critical to somebody, I apologize to them. Okay, so, so th these are supposed to balance those. Does that make sense? Or, and meet those needs. Mm. Um, and so for this week, this is real, is I didn't, um, uh, I didn't, I, I, there was no fantasy, although with all the stress of this, of this stuff coming up and I just had a new job, it's like, I'll admit there were a couple times where I was tempted to maybe think about something, but it's like, you know, I don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's, that's what it was. I don't think I was critical uh, I don't think if the most critical I've been is probably at this conference I'm talking to other presenters, not about them, but I have to be careful. I, I can be pretty opinionated about things. It doesn't mean I'm right. Oh, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and as far as feeling wanted and heard, it was really cool. I have a new, that new job and my mm -hmm. new boss uh, was, was not, it doesn't matter if she said anything, but she was saying how appreciative she was of what I've been doing there. And... Um, uh, it doesn't, success doesn't mean that I was appreciated, yeah. but I happened, but I'm aware that this week I felt very much so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, so my move away from one of them was fantasy and had no trouble with that. Um, there's, because I haven't been getting very much sleep, I'll say, there's times where I'm like really tired at home, and so I feel like I, I want to fantasize, 
but I've been doing other things like playing music or stuff like that that gets my mind off it. Um, my other move away from was texting or using like social media to talk to girls or even other people instead of face-to-face -face conversations. Um, Explain that that that. Yeah. Pit. Well, and that's the whole about the real relationship because if I'm talking to someone over text, I can put off this artificial like persona of what I want to be looking like. I'm this person, even if it's not what I'm actually thinking or what I'm actually hearing or like or feeling. But if I'm like talking to the person in face to face, that's actually me talking to him. I'm not just so. So one face. of his things is toward is to spend more time face to face talking with his friends than texting his friends. Yeah is to keep that balance. The real is bigger than the, fan, than the artificial. That's what that's about. And then um, my needs were needing people and then also to have um, self-worth. And then my moving towards, we're meeting with you once a week, which we have been doing that. And then my other move towards was um, spending more time, like just like um, in like meditation for myself and like spending time just like relaxing, kind of blowing mm -hmm. off some steam and, talking to people. Yeah. Now, in, in yours, you didn't have moving away from looking at porn. Why wasn't that on there? Well, because I haven't, there's, I haven't done that in such a long time. It's not an issue anymore. Okay. So when it becomes not an issue anymore, you don't just leave it there. You move it off and put something else up there. Okay. And, and it keeps it nice and simple and nice and small. And, and we mess up sometimes, you know. Um, I remember the first time I had to tell him I had crossed a line. That, and I didn't want to tell him. I'm the dad. At that time, I was working in full-time sex addiction recovery stuff. And I hadn't, I hadn't done like anything really bad, but it definitely had crossed my line. And I didn't want to tell him that. I was terrified. Mm -hmm. And so, again, we were in the backyard. These all happened in the backyard sometime. We are you know, working on pruning mm -hmm. or something. And I had to come and tell you that I blew it. And do you remember what you said yeah, back? Well, because I remember, because you talked about what you did. And you, I, I remember you were very, like, not wanting to talk about it, but you said it. And I remember I was so relieved and like, oh goodness, I, I thought I was the only one because it's like, it's good to know that I'm not the only one who messes up sometimes. That so when a parent has to admit they failed, it's not a bad thing. It's a phenomenal lesson to teach a kid that well, what do you do when you fail? What, go throw yourself in the river? No, I mean, you move on, you know. Let's talk about that. Everybody fails sometimes. Um, be open about failures, even small ones. If you wait, you say, well, that wasn't that big of a thing. You don't have to talk about that. If it's bugging you in your mind, you need to talk about it. If it came up, you need to talk about it, both kid and the parent. You, know, you can say, is that all? Is there anything else you want to tell me? Okay. Focus more on the move towards list. So if they did something on the don't do anymore, let's say they came in and all their move away from stuff was perfect, but they didn't, like in your case, uh, spend more time talking face-to-face -face than texting. I'm more worried about that than the fact that you didn't mess up up here to move away, move away from. Does that make sense? Because it's the move towards that's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so I'm more interested, did you do those things? If you messed up a little bit, okay, whatever. Does that make sense? Failures are lessons. Well, what led up to the... How did this happen? What, what, what was leading up to you? Were you sad? Were you depressed? What happened? Um, what can you change in the future to reduce failures? Maybe we do need to tighten up the internet or something, okay? But maybe not. Maybe just some, maybe there's another issue. Maybe it's something else. Failure does not cut us off from love. We, oh, we cannot act in anger when we find out our kids like, messed up and looked at porn. Just, God, just can't do that. And it's really hard. We have to empathize. What do you think you would do if you were their age with what's online today? I mean, come on. I mean, I, 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 don't, I can't speak for the women, but for the men, like, we'd all be toast. With what's online today, there's just no way, you know. Um, failure does not mean we can't do better. And pornography use, or whatever it is, does not define who we are. Okay, if, if, we, if, we, can, if we say, you are my son, my daughter, you are loved, period, end of story, then we'll work on these things. We have to separate those two. It makes it much more effective. Okay, I, th I think it's important to talk about decision-making in teens because this influences all this. By the time they reach a teenager. And some of this stuff's been talked about by a couple different presenters today. Part of your brain is the thing that just makes that the rational. If I do this, it's going to lead to this bad, bad thing happening. Let's think through this before I act. The other part of our brain 
is into reward, into pleasure, into excitement, okay? This part of our brain starts to really kick off at age 10 to 12, and it completely matures by age 15. You are full on just, I want excitement, I want novelty, I want risk, I want, ooh, this is good. The other part does not finish developing until age 25. So between ages 10 and 25, there's a giant imbalance between wanting this and not being able to do that very good. That makes a big difference in this whole conversation, doesn't it? Because I can sit here and talk to Lucas and give, I can, you can have all the arguments down and completely be in support of not looking at pornography and an opportunity could present itself and that's out the window like that. And then afterwards I can say, why did you do that? I don't know and you're telling the truth. Because that one side of your brain took over. So we have to compensate for that by helping, just because Lucas, we talk about this a lot, is because you think, I, I would never do that. It's like, oh, yes, you would, in the right situation. So don't put yourself in that situation. Mm -hmm. You see what it is? It's like, it's not bad that you're 17, you're still not 25, you shouldn't put yourself in risky situations, okay? Because you, we, we, don't, we can't do that. The brains aren't there yet. The other thing is hormones. Now, this is particular. I, I don't know how it is for women. I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> but for guys, testosterone goes up 500% during puberty. 500% more attracted to sex than they were. Have a little empathy, okay? A little empathy for that drive. And, find, and the last thing is willpower. People don't talk about willpower a lot. Uh, uh, Baumeister had a book a couple of years ago called, called Willpower, and it's like the covering all the research ever done on willpower and self-control. It's a phenomenal book. Um, basically, willpower, really what willpower is, is your blood sugar level and how tired you are. And basically, the more, in, it just, it's like literally what you get energy from. And where you are at is the amount of energy you have available to use that part of your brain and to do what you, you know, to whether it's to force yourself to work out or to say no to that cookie or to whatever it is, every time you make a decision, you use up some of that energy you have for the day. So what happens is basically, as the day decreases, all of us have less willpower to make hard choices. And this part of our brain takes over as the willpower gets down for all of us. And when our willpower is low, you can tell because people start acting irrational, they're irritable, and they're impulsive. All of us. It's not just teenagers, all of us. So for me, but also for Lucas, is when, is he needs to know all this stuff mm -hmm. so that when we're doing our accountability and you say, well, where are you going this week? Well, I'm going wherever. It's like, is there going to be a situation that something bad could happen? And well, let's, let's think about this. What can, we, what can we do to make sure that you're not mm -hmm. putting yourself in a bad situation? For example, one of the things we talked about is when, at night, when people start going to bed, we're not on the computer mm -hmm. because there's just no willpower left to say no. You know, we have accountability software and we have some blocking, but we're trying to train for you. We're trying to train you to like, you're going to be leaving next year mm -hmm. and you can do whatever the heck you want to with your computer. So we're trying to let you be more in control of what happens with your computer and um, teaching you. I'd rather you screw up while you're at home than when you're gone. So... Um, Anything you want to say about any of this stuff? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so look at these three things here. So teenagers are geared towards reward. They have a high drive for sex. And when their willpower is low, because will, teenagers get lots of sleep, right? Don't they? They always have plenty of sleep, right? So this is what you're faced with. So again, a lot of this is just we have to have some empathy with them, realize that they're in an impaired state basically their entire teenage life. And we have to... Um, <laughs> But, but, but what I try to do with, with Lucas is to say, this is the reality of where you're at today. So let's, let's, let's try to, and you def, you, I remember talking to you about, about this kind of thing, is that you're going you're gonna to give in to this when you don't want to sometimes, and you're like, I'm not going to do that, mm -hmm. and then you'll blow it. Well, because I'm a teenager, I know everything. So yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there is, I don't, I'm not going to go off on this a long time, but you're going to have to, you, gotta, you can't have any kind of device that will attach to the internet without some, some, something on it to help out your teenagers because of that stuff we just talked about. These are a couple, there's a bunch. I think I've seen other people have handouts. Um, 
it's not fair to expect a teenager. However, I have stuff on mine too. I'm not going to tell Lucas to do something I'm not doing. Okay? And we use accountability software. That's what sends emails to about what you've been doing. Um, he, well, I just turned it off. I forgot to <laughs> But he gets mine too. He sees what I'm looking at too. It's not fair to say, I get to see everything you're looking at. You can't see what I'm doing. That's not fair. Okay. My goal as a parent is to set up to where Lucas, when he leaves next year to go to college, that he's ready to do this. He'll still have people that he does accountability with, I would hope. <laughs> and um, he, it will be up to him whether he wants me to keep getting his accountability report on software computer or not. I'll still be willing to send him mine. But I'm trying to get this up so when he leaves, because remember, 25 years old is how old people are when their brain kind of equalizes out. Not 18. So... So this is kind of the, we, we do this weekly. We daily talk about how we're feeling, how we're feeling is what we're talking about, not about sex all the time. And anytime you feel an urge to pornography, it's like, man, I, I kind of feel like, I, 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 you know, doesn't that, it's kind of a cool thing when your kid says, I kind of would like to look at pornography today. That takes the pressure off just by saying that. And it's not just when I do it. It's just even if I have an urge or even if I feel like I could have an urge. Right, yeah. Like, I mean, like even like today, I'm so tired, so it's like <laughs> I can say that. So yeah, there, and there's no shame in that. We are men. We're guys. We have hormones. We're geared. We're built to want sex. That's not a shameful thing to say that, you know. So um, wanting to see pornography is normal. This is for parents. Wanting to see nudity is how we're made. Becoming aroused is unavoidable. And we're looking at progress, not perfection. So that is what we have done that has worked really, really well. Um, tell the story. This was a couple of stories I want to talk about. One, when you were 14 and you were walking home and that whole mm -hmm. thing and you finally got the feeling thing. So this is the story about love. the first time he became aware of the relationship between his feelings and this wanting to look at pornography. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because we had been talking about it. Um, and I remember I was walking home from school and I was like, I had been, it wasn't even that I was sad or anything. I was just walking home and I was alone. And I was tired. I was worn out. And I remember kind of getting this feeling of like, sort of like an excitement, maybe like a little like arousal or something. And I remember that I called you because I talked to you, because I knew that I was getting that feeling, so I talked to you, and just, I said, you know, hey, I'm, like, feeling tired, I'm feeling worn out, whatever, and I have this, I'm starting to kind of get, like, a little bit of an urge sort of feeling, and so then you said, okay, you'd be kind of, like, you know, just, don't remember if even if you ask why, you just said, like, okay, and then we could listen to it, and then we kind of morphed the conversation, just talking about something random, like, it was just a fact yeah. that I told you And then you, you discovered that there was a pattern of, mm -hmm. this is when you were a freshman in high school, and mm -hmm. It's a long story, but he has a pretty long walk home. He can't, this is a, this is a long story. We, they moved the boundary of schools, and we had to get him to stay in the school, but they wouldn't let him use a bus, so he has to walk this big, long way home. Anyway, whatever. Um, so, and, and you're an extremely social person. You don't like being alone, yeah. and you notice that you were getting these feelings every time you walked home. Yeah, so then I kind of made it a thing where that every single time I walked home, I'd either text you or call you. Even right. if you didn't answer, it's the fact yeah. I'd leave So we went a whole year of, at 4 o'clock, I knew he was going to be calling me or texting me at work. Mm -hmm. And that took care of the problem. Do you see how that works? It's, it's, there's a feeling that was uncomfortable. I know this makes me, you see how that works? Um, then, then tell them about that, the, the whole thing about, I want to mention the name, yeah. yeah. Um, so there was one of my friends, and I remember, because um, we've been doing this for a while, I think it was just like- It was last year. year. Yeah, last, last year. year, yeah. Because we've been doing this, my dad and I, for a while, and we had started working on the book, um, or we had like a rough draft out or something. And I remember um, I've been talking, one of my friends um, that I was talking to, like somehow our conversation got talking about it. Ember, so I, he was saying, and then he opened up to me and started like, he started telling me things that he did and that kind of stuff. And I remember I sort of talked, because we've been doing this for such a long time, I know a lot about it. So I talked to him about the sort of accountability stuff and made the big point about how that it's a good thing he's talking to me and I, that's a good, I want that, like that's a good communication for friends. Um, but then I said that he really also needs to talk to his dad. But I remember he talked about it, and he tried to ask his dad, but his dad pretty much just said, no, I don't want to do that. And so that's... 
Yeah, so what we're finding is it's not the kids who don't. So this friend mm -hmm. asked his dad, will you do accountability with me? And his dad said no. Now, why do you think his dad said no? I don't know. My guess is his dad's still looking at porn. But the, the and, and, and that's an issue, you know, but still, it's not the parents who won't do this. I mean, the kids, it's the parents who won't do this. The kids will do this, the parents won't, so. What questions do you have? Yeah. Um, have you had any opportunity in your friendships to have, um, at least from what I've read, the female population is being hit just as hard. Mm -hmm. So have you had an experience where you know of teenage girls who've gone through this accountability process and has it been good for them as well? Well, I know for me, because I'm such an open person, just kind of my personality, I'm like, that's why I'm here speaking, because I'm, I, I'm comfortable talking about everything, being completely open about it. And because of that, like, I remember one of my friends, who else I'm not going to say their name, but um, I, was, I was talking to her, and I remember somehow I got talking about this because she asked, like, what my dad does, like, as a job, and so I talked about this sort of thing, kind of molded it into talking about the father-son accountability. And I remember that she did, um, she did open up to me and talk about it and said that she had looked at pornography. And I was like, I knew that, you know, there's the statistics, the statistics to say the girls do that, but I never really thought about it because I never associated that it was a guy and girl issue. But I, she talked about it and then she said that she knows a lot of her friends who also do. And that was a little bit of a surprise to me. I wasn't really aware of it at that time. Um, and so I kind of like, you know, I listened to it and it wasn't trying to fix her problems or anything and I talked about the accountability and I did raise the point about talking to like an adult female and so I kind of, I said that that's something you need to do, thank you for telling me, but you need to go like talk to an adult that you trust that can do this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, so, so to, to, when me and Lucas started, it was, my wife was involved too and it's not that, our whole family does talk about this stuff too. But for whatever reason, Lucas chose that he wanted, when we talked about this, that formal, that kind of quasi-formal, just us. My wife and my daughter have talked some. I've talked with my daughter some, too, and, and that kind of thing. It wasn't quite like this. I have to admit, I didn't exactly know what to do. Um, so, but she, um, and to be honest, it backfired a tiny bit because my daughter's reaction was sort of like just pushing all that away and pornography just makes her really, really angry. And so she's having to come to kind of like, well, all guys are that way. I don't want anything to do with any of them. And then kind of having to relax and like say, okay, there are not all guys are bad, you know? So she's sort of in that place, um, which I feel like I messed up a little bit on, but you know, we're doing the best we can, but uh, with that. But I think, so I, I can't say exactly what that would look like, but I've heard a lot of other presenters and people talking about, um, I think again feelings and what are you feeling and what are you attracted to why do you, why are you interested in that guy well, let's talk about that you know um, and and you saw some pornography so tell me about how that felt here's one thing I've noticed I don't know how it's true with this but because um, I work with a lot of recovery stuff and most of the women involved in that they were spouses of men who were addicts um, I do know some women who work with women addicts themselves you know but while men of any generation can relate to a, son, a, a boy being attracted to pornography, I have met some women who just can't understand why another woman would want to look at that. And so what concerns me is if you have a mother and a daughter, and the mother has a much more harder time relating, why would you want to do that? And, and so there, there's that, that concerns me a little bit, but I don't think it has to be an issue. You can just say, well, tell me about that, talk to me about that, and try to, try to understand. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? I think that's the best we can do. The whole w with with that, um, if that may, I don't know if that makes any sense or not. But well, the, the last presenter talked about just really getting in touch with their own feelings about sexuality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So my thought is that if you as a parent are struggling with that, you have to figure out what's going on with you. Mm -hmm. so you can talk to your kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. Mm -hmm. A lot of reasons why adults won't do this because they haven't resolved their own issues. You know, they're, they're still not sure about their own self, you know. And, but we can't let that stop us. This is a great way to figure it out, you know. Does that make sense? And if you realize in the middle of it, I need to go see a counselor or something, great, go see one. You know, and so. also, um, kind of that whole point about saying how that you guys are the right people to be talking to kids, like in your kids and things. Um, I know in like my experience talking to friends at school, talking to other people, it's that whole thing of like when I open up, when I say that, I can see that they're 
realizing that I'm being vulnerable and there's that, that relationship. And so it's like I can tell that when that happens, they instantly feel more comfortable and they can share and they won't be judgmental of me. And that when they share, they know I won't be judgmental of them. And it's that whole kind of empathy thing that even if you don't quite understand what they're going through, you don't know 100%, you can still be, try to be empathetic or sympathetic, you know, understanding that you know, they're only human and just building a relationship off of it. One of the things that, that we're hoping to do is, uh, with, because we're father and son, is, do this, is to get groups of dads and sons who want a little help and maybe go through a two, three weeks of helping them in a group do this. Not, not like in a whole group, but like where you're kind of training them through and then kind of setting them loose to do, to do this. Um, when we did this in, in Bellevue last winter, and there was a bunch of dads and sons out there, and I asked for questions, and everybody just sat there. Yeah. And one dad said, this is the most uncomfortable thing I've ever sat right. there in my entire well, life. She goes, but, <laughs> but it was great. You know? Well, and I remember because it was dads and kids. And I remember when I first came in, all the kids were like looking tired. And, oh, but by the end of it, they're like, oh, I'm like looking at it. It's like, oh, goodness. <laughs> we were meaner then is we had them actually, the, 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 the accountability line, we had them not talk about it, but like write theirs out as we went, like the father and the son. Is, and then I made them decide. One thing I made him talk to each other about is you decide when this week you're going to do this this week. And <laughs> that I, I, I've learned since that that's pushing maybe a little too hard. So I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would think that masturbation would be a tricky one. Yes. With shame. I know you talked about um, like object fantasy and masturbation, but it seems like those kind of go together. Yeah, okay, so the... the, the yeah, I, we t I talk about it in the book, um, and I, it's hard because this, this crowd, I have no idea what kind of backgrounds you guys are coming from, and people have different kind of beliefs about that. This is what I think, though, is that masturbation, whether for a woman or a, or a girl or a guy, doesn't make any difference. When an orgasm occurs, whatever you're looking at is imprinted into your brain, or what you're thinking about is imprinted as a sexual object. And as it happens over and over again, so you get weird fetishes that happen because when people are masturbating, they're looking at something, it's the same thing over again. That thing becomes sexually arousing, even if it's an inanimate object, okay? Um, so it's not like it's an irrelevant issue. Um, and what you're thinking about, I think, does matter, okay? We ha today in society, we're finally talking about objectifying women is not really okay, all right? And so how can you say if you're fantasizing and masturbating and thinking about a person that you're not objectifying that person. It's kind of a difficult thing to say. And so um, there is a, but um, what I try to separate is the behavior from what's happening in your brain. I'm concerned about what you're doing in your head. So we do talk about that, okay? Um, the, the statistics are, um, <coughs> Uh, wait, I gotta find it in here. And, and again, I don't know for, for women, it's a different situation um, because this book was for men. So here are seven facts about masturbation, okay, from research, not mine. I didn't do much research, but I wanted to have a little bit. Uh, well, no, I want to see. A couple, I'll talk about knowledge because some of these don't verify. Uh, f fact one, nearly 100% of teenage boys masturbate on a regular basis. This is not how many have ever masturbated, this is how many do on a regular basis. Uh, Dr. Archibald Hart from The Sexual Man, 96% of teenage boys masturbate regularly. Um, well over half m of men continue to masturbate after they have married. 61 um, admitting to continuing masturbation after marriage, 82% of those 61 masturbate about five times a month. So this is like a, this is not a, you know, we're not here to talk about that, but that, that, that's just a reality. What you do with that reality is up to you. Um, <clears throat> anything we do that causes shame drives us away from other relationships. Okay, so if there's shame involved with that, we need to address that one either, somehow, okay? Um, uh, in men and teenage boys, masturbation is usually accompanied by viewing pornography, imagining themselves having sex, or imagining looking at someone naked. Okay, so that's objectifying, that's sexualizing. And as far as the brain is concerned, you're pretty much, it, it, it thinks you're having sex. Okay, so that's a reality. Okay, what we're going to do with that is, um, and, um, but there are some, there's research that there are some people who 
as somewhere along in their younger life, masturbate when they're not thinking about anything, it's just a physical act, it feels good, they do it every once in a while. Okay, now what you do with that, I can't, everybody has their own set of beliefs and all that kind of stuff, I'm not going to tell you what to do with that, but that's the, the facts we have to deal with. Okay, yeah. How serious no, no. Well, we, we, we just learned that's not true. Yeah. So we talk about that, okay? And Lucas has decided that's not something that's become a, a habit, okay? Especially if he's thinking about something, if I'm imagining some kind of sexual situation. So that's a thing on his line, okay? And I'm married, and I choose not to be masturbating and thinking about somebody else. Even if I'm thinking about my wife, it's probably going to be about something in some scenario that wouldn't be interesting to her. So that's kind of like I've got wife A and wife B, you know, and not trying to do that. That's, that's not okay. Not on my line, because I don't do it but, anymore, but you, you see what I'm saying? So we do talk about that, but mm. I don't want to try to tell you people what your family values have to be. I could be that way. Okay. All right. That's it. You have been listening to an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. For more information or other recordings, please visit our website at www.healthyintimacy.net. Thank you for listening.